Hey there, Michael. Hope you're gearing up for a fantastic day out there in San Francisco. Absolutely, Jonathan. And it looks like the weather's on your side too, Michael. With a high of 54 degrees and a clear sky by evening, it's shaping up to be a beautiful Tuesday. Perfect for tuning into the latest headlines. And we've got some interesting stories for you today. First up, the Supreme Court is weighing in on laws from Florida and Texas that aim to regulate how social media platforms moderate content. These laws were passed by Republican lawmakers who claim there's an anti-conservative bias in content moderation. But with justices expressing skepticism over the law's broad strokes and potential conflicts with the First Amendment, it's clear this legal battle is about more than just politics. It's about adapting our understanding of free speech in the Internet age. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Welcome to Michael's News from Pocket Pod. Moving on to international news, there might be a light at the end of the tunnel for the Israel-Hamas conflict. Talks in Qatar are pushing for a ceasefire by next Monday, with both U.S. involvement and Ramadan's start applying pressure for a resolution. And back in the world of tech and literature, Inkit has just secured $37 million in Series C funding. This startup is not your typical publishing house. It's leveraging AI to find and distribute compelling stories through its app Galatea. It's an exciting time as we see how technology continues to reshape industries and even our daily habits. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Stay with us. We've got all the news you need to start your day right here on Michael's News from PocketPod News. This message is brought to you by PocketPod. Say goodbye to one-size-fits-all podcasts and hello to a fully personalized listening experience with AI-crafted podcast made just for you. Head over to PocketPod.app to join the waitlist. The Supreme Court is currently deliberating on something that could reshape the landscape of the Internet as we know it. That's right. They're looking into laws from Florida and Texas aimed at limiting how social media companies can moderate content, particularly focusing on political viewpoints. It's a crucial moment for free speech and platform regulation. And with justices showing deep concerns about the implications of these laws for all kinds of Internet platforms, it's clear this isn't just about social media giants. PocketPod News national political correspondent Don Gallup has been following the case closely. Don, what can we expect from the court? Indeed, Jonathan, the Supreme Court's deliberations on the Florida and Texas laws present a pivotal moment in the ongoing debate over free speech and regulation on social media platforms. The justices are grappling with complex questions that could reshape how content moderation is handled in the United States. Could you give us a bit of background on these cases? Absolutely. The core of these legal battles revolves around two state laws, Florida's Senate Bill 7272 and Texas's House Bill 20, both aimed at preventing social media companies from moderating content based on political viewpoints. These laws were enacted by Republican governors with the intention of addressing what they perceive as a bias against conservative views on major platforms like Twitter and Facebook. It sounds like these laws are trying to address concerns about free speech and censorship. That's correct, Jonathan. The controversy stems from accusations of anti-conservative bias by tech giants, leading to calls for more transparent and fair content moderation practices. However, these state laws have sparked significant debate about where the line should be drawn between protecting free speech and allowing private companies to moderate their platforms. What's been the judicial response so far? We've seen a divided judicial landscape. A federal appeals court mostly sided with tech companies in challenging Florida's law but supported Texas in its case. This division underscores the legal complexity surrounding Internet regulation and raises questions about consistency in applying First Amendment protections across different states. 
And how have the Supreme Court justices reacted during oral arguments? Justices across the ideological spectrum expressed skepticism about the broad reach of these laws. For example, Justice Sotomayor pointed out that they could affect not just social media giants, but also any online platform hosting user-generated content. Meanwhile, Justice Kavanaugh highlighted concerns over First Amendment rights against government suppression of speech, and Justice Gorsuch mentioned the role of Section 230 in protecting content moderation decisions. With such complexities, what outcomes might we expect from the Supreme Court? The court faces a difficult task. They could issue a ruling by June that directly addresses these issues or opt not to rule definitively, sending them back to lower courts for further consideration. This reflects broader challenges in adapting legal frameworks to contemporary technology landscapes, where many precedents are based on older technologies like cable TV rather than today's Internet platforms with massive user bases. So it seems like there's a lot at stake here for future Internet governance policies. Absolutely, Jonathan. The outcome of this case could significantly influence how free speech rights are balanced with platform responsibilities online. It highlights critical tensions between ensuring open discourse and enabling platforms to maintain community standards against harmful content, all within an outdated legal framework struggling to keep pace with technological advances. Don, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. As we speak, the world watches closely as efforts intensify to broker a ceasefire in the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. Right. And with the holy month of Ramadan just around the corner, there's a growing sense of urgency. The negotiations taking place in Qatar are not just about stopping the fighting, but also addressing deeper issues like the release of hostages and future governance of Palestinian territories. President Joe Biden has expressed optimism for a ceasefire by next Monday underlining the intense U.S. involvement in pushing for a resolution. But with both Israel and Hamas holding firm to their demands, it's clear there's no easy path forward. And amidst these high-stakes negotiations, there's a humanitarian crisis unfolding with nearly 30,000 people reported killed since an all-out ground assault began. The pressure is on to find a peaceful solution quickly. To help us understand more about these complex negotiations and what this all means for the region and beyond, we're joined by PocketPod News International political correspondent Sarah Rogers. Sarah? Thanks for having me, Jonathan. The situation in Gaza is indeed complex and evolving rapidly. Intense negotiations are underway in Qatar as both Israel and Hamas engage in what's known as proximity talks through mediators. These talks have reached a critical stage, with a growing sense of optimism fueled by the active participation of both parties and significant international involvement. Right, Sarah. Could you expand on the U.S.'s role in these negotiations? It seems they're playing a pivotal part here. Absolutely, Jonathan. President Joe Biden has been quite vocal about his hopes for an imminent ceasefire, highlighting the close discussions and efforts by U.S. negotiators who've been on the front lines pushing for a resolution. The aim is quite ambitious, to secure a pause for hostages deal before Ramadan begins on March 10th. This illustrates not just the urgency, but also the complexity of the negotiations, with top U.S. officials deeply involved in trying to broker peace. Speaking of complexity, both Israel and Hamas have taken some hardline public stances while still engaging in these talks. How does that play into the negotiation process? That's an excellent point. 
On one hand, we have Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu insisting on realistic demands from Hamas for any ceasefire terms to be agreed upon. On the other hand, Ismail Haniyeh of Hamas accuses Israel of stalling negotiations, each blaming the other for delays while expressing readiness to agree under certain conditions. Despite this public posturing, their engagement in negotiations signals that behind closed doors, compromises might be more achievable than it appears publicly. And there have been several international meetings and proposals exchanged lately? Yes, high-level meetings involving delegations from various countries, including Egypt, Qatar, and representatives from Israel, but notably not Hamas, have been taking place. These meetings signify broad international engagement aimed not only at ending hostilities but at addressing long-term solutions for peace and stability in the region, including discussions around hostage releases, which occurred since February 26th. The humanitarian toll has been devastating as well. Tragically so. Gaza health authorities report nearly 30,000 people killed since an all-out ground assault began, emphasizing the urgency of reaching a ceasefire agreement to prevent further loss of life. It's a stark reminder of what's at stake here. Human lives. Lastly, let's touch on Mohammed Shtaya's resignation as Prime Minister of the Palestinian Authority and its implications. Shtaya's resignation on February 26th signals potential political shifts within Palestinian territories aimed at creating consensus regarding future governance post-conflict. This development points towards efforts at political reorganization as part of broader peace solutions, indicating that even amid conflict, there's some movement toward rethinking future governance structures within Palestinian territories. That was PocketPod News International political correspondent Sarah Rogers. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. There's a startup that's not just making waves in the publishing industry, but could potentially redefine entertainment as we know it. Right, Inkit. They've recently secured a whopping $37 million in Series C funding, and they have this bold vision of becoming the Disney of the 21st century. With AI at their core, they're transforming how stories are discovered and enjoyed. And what's fascinating is their approach to content. Beyond traditional publishing, they're diving into AI-written stories, personalized fiction, and even expanding into games and audiobooks. Plus, they've got an eye on producing more video content from the fiction on their platform. With 33 million users already hooked and a slew of bestsellers under their belt, it seems like they might be on to something. But what does this mean for the future of storytelling, and how does AI fit into the creative process? To unpack all this, we're joined by PocketPod News business and finance correspondent Scott Dwyer. Scott's been following Inkit's journey closely. Scott, can you give us some insight into how Inkit is using AI to shake up traditional storytelling? Absolutely, Jonathan. Inkit's approach is quite fascinating. By leveraging AI, they're not just looking at creating content. They aim to transform how stories are told and consumed. With the recent $37 million Series C funding led by Vinod Kosla of Kosla Ventures, their mission is to uh, become what they describe as the Disney of the 21st century. 
Their strategy involves using AI to sift through self-published stories on their platform, identifying those with blockbuster potential. This isn't just about publishing books. It's about creating a whole ecosystem around these stories, including personalized fiction, games, audiobooks, and expanding into video content. That sounds ambitious. How are users responding to what InKit offers? The response has been overwhelmingly positive. InKit has managed to attract over 33 million users and produce dozens of bestsellers through its app and storytelling platform, Galatea. What's interesting here is that despite broader trends showing a decline in reading among American adults, where in 2022 the average was around 15 minutes per day, InKit's model has actually increased engagement. Their success lies in making books more engaging and tail read to readers' tastas. And how does this expansion into games and audiobooks fit into their broader strategy? It's all part of Inkit's vision to build a multimedia empire centered on its content library. By moving into games, producing more video content from fiction on its platform, and eyeing AI-generated video production down the line, they're essentially broadening their reach. This isn't just about adapting written content. It's about creating an immersive world that audiences can engage with across multiple platforms. With reading trends declining, it's interesting that Inkit is betting big on reversing this trend through innovation. Exactly. They believe that by making books more engaging and better tailored to what readers want through AI-driven insights, they can buck the trend. Their data-driven publishing approach uses A-B testing on various aspects of storytelling to gather data on reader preferences. This method gives them an edge in identifying potential bestsellers, a higher success rate compared to traditional publishers. Speaking of success rates, there was mention of a TV series adaptation generating significant revenue? Yes, one standout example is the TV series adaptation of the Galatea book, Beautiful Mistake, which generated revenues of half a million dollars. It highlights how offshoots from their main reading enterprise can be lucrative in their own right. And I understand there's been some learning curves with famous authors? Indeed. After some negative experiences with famous authors who were resistant to edits suggested by AI algorithms, Inkit shifted its focus towards undiscovered talent instead. This move helps avoid conflicts while nurturing new voices in literature, a strategy that aligns with their broader mission. Before we wrap up, any insights into how they're navigating intellectual property concerns with LLMs? It's a tricky area for sure, but one where Inkit is being cautious, varying their use of different language models and sometimes using intentionally flat prompts to protect its intellectual property from being used in LLM training without consent. Fascinating stuff. That was PocketPod News Business and Finance Correspondent Scott Dwyer. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. And that's Michael's News for Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Thank you for listening, Michael. We hope you have a good day, and we will see you tomorrow. This podcast was created by PocketPod entirely with AI. If you'd like to learn more, head over to PocketPod.app.